You can tell from my graphic this morning uh, that I don't normally use someone as an example other than Jesus to say, hey, that's a, that's a pretty cool guy. But Mr. Rogers, uh, for me, is one of those guys that is kind of a hero. Mr. Rogers was the kind of person that not only on television, but it seems like, at least in his everyday life, he considered the world to be his neighborhood, and he considered every person to be a neighbor, and he made room for his neighbors in his life. I heard recently, I sat down and watched an interview uh, that Mr. Rogers did, that Fred Rogers did, and the interviewer said, how many kids are out there who in 30 years you've influenced, you've made a difference, made them feel something special? And here's what Fred Rogers said. He said, I don't care how many, even if it's just one. We get so wrapped up in numbers in our society. The most important thing is that we are able to be one-to-one, you and I with each other at the moment, if we can be present to the moment with the person that we happen to be with, that's what's important. And that was a number of years ago that he said that, and I thought, how much more relevant is that today? Be present with the people that you're with, one-on-one, being with people, making room for people. And I was thinking about our Brighter Together efforts, that we're trying our very best to expand our building. And I hope that we all realize, and I think that we do, I think that we've made it abundantly clear. We may not know exactly what the building is going to look like when it's all said and done, but it's not just about making room for ourselves. This Brighter Together project isn't about making room for us. Yes, it would be awesome if we're all in one room and and I don't have to preach three times every Sunday morning. That would be great. You know, I like that. That's fine. That's fantastic. But it's not about us. It's not about making more room for ourselves. It's about making more room for our neighbors. It's about telling our neighborhood, not just the people within a block or two of this building, although they're just as important, but everyone in our life. Your family, my family, your friends, my friends, your coworkers, your classmates, we, we have found something unbelievable in Jesus and in Jesus' people. And we want to spend more time with you. We want you to experience what we've experienced. We want you to be a part of this community. You are our neighbors and we love you. The more and more technology increases, and don't get me wrong, I love technology and it's great and there's all kinds of things that it makes our life better and we have things to remind us, you know, Wes, it's time to stop preaching now or whatever the case may be, you know. I love the technology that we have, but the more engrossed in a virtual world that we get, the more desperately we need community to be with people face-to-face, you and I, right here, right now, one-on-one. That's, that's what we need. We, we need to offer that to our community. And when you live in a, a neighborhood, as we all do, you make room for your neighbors. When you're a part of something special, as we are, when you found something great and something wonderful, you reach out to your neighbors and you say, I want you to see what I've seen. I want you to experience what I've experienced. We are trying to make room, not for ourselves, 
but trying to make room for our neighbors and to communicate to our neighbors, we are making room for you because we love you and we want to spend time with you. We want to be with you. That's what things like our fall festival are all about. Our fall festival, I mean, it's great, you know, for our kids to come and enjoy those kind of things together, but it's really for our neighborhood to let our neighbors know we care about you and we love you and we want you to see what this community of people who love and believe in and follow Jesus, what this community is all about. And we want you, we want you to be a part of this family. I was thinking about John 1 and verse 14 this week. And in the ESV, it says the word, and John's going to explain that that's Jesus, right? The divine word of God that makes God known to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the the Greek there is, is a little bit interesting because literally it means that the word tabernacled. You remember the tabernacle? Before the temple was built, it was the tent. And so literally means he, he pitched his tent with us. He tabernacled with us. He took up residence with us. And, and it's kind of interesting what the message paraphrase says. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now, it's kind of a funny translation, I guess. But really, that's the idea, isn't it? That's exactly what Jesus did. The divine word who was with God in the beginning, who is God became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled amongst us. He pitched his tent with us. He took up residence with us. He moved into our neighborhood. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He spent 30-something years in our neighborhood, moving in with his people. And so... We've gone through this year, gone through a lot of the Gospel of John. Over the next two months, we're going to finish out the Gospel of John, look at a couple more themes as we wrap up. But I thought today it'd be good to just kind of take a bird's eye view and just kind of stop and say, how did Jesus live his life in the neighborhood? How did he live his life amongst his neighbors? And how might that change the way we live our lives in our neighborhood? How might that change the way we live our lives with our neighbors, with the people we come into contact with every single day? It's because it's really, it's really easy, isn't it, to try to avoid our neighbors. And I don't just mean the people that live next door to you. But when you go to the grocery store... I know, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning, okay? But I know how easy it is to try to avoid, or to avoid whether you're trying to or not, talking with anyone. It's easy now, you don't even have to check out with the actual cashier. You can just go through the automated thing. You never have to talk to another human being if you don't want to. But they're all around us. People. Neighbors. Neighbors are all around us, around our building, around you in the grocery store, around you on the freeways and the tollways, around you at work, around you at school. How did Jesus live his life in his neighborhood? How ought we to live our lives in our neighborhood? I think about John chapter 2. Jesus goes to the wedding at Cana, 
and he goes to a wedding with his neighbors. He didn't go there. He didn't even go there to do a miracle, right? He ends up doing a miracle, but he didn't go there to do a miracle. He didn't go there to preach a sermon. And I think if you knew you only had three years to save the world, you only had three years to preach all the sermons you're going to preach, to teach all the lessons you're going to teach, to, to impact as many people as possible. You only had three years to do as many miracles and to do everything you're going to do in three years. How much time would you spend going to parties? How much time would you spend going to a wedding just to be with your neighbors? Jesus did that kind of a thing, didn't he? And he went to the wedding with his neighbors. John chapter 3, one-on-one with his neighbor Nicodemus, who was from a group of people who were in the process of rejecting Jesus. And this man wanted to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus, and Jesus made time for his neighbor. Or John chapter 4, one-on-one with his Samaritan neighbor, the woman at the well. Not only was this a woman... But probably a woman, as we talked about in previous sermons, who'd probably been taken advantage of, maybe even victimized, likely mistreated, a woman of a different religion, a different race, and Jesus said, she's my neighbor. And he talked with her, and he loved her. The end of John chapter 4, Jesus heals his neighbor's son. John chapter 5 that we just read. Let's read, let's read that text again. John 5, verses 6 through 9. When Jesus saw him lying there, and this is a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Now, now I mean, just think for a second. This place is filled with paralyzed people and sick people and hurting people, people who all think that there's healing in the pool, and there's all kinds of theological things, and we've talked about some of those before in previous sermons. But there's people everywhere. And Jesus finds one. One. A man who he knows has been there for a very long time. 38 years he's been paralyzed. And for a very long time, he's wanted desperately to get in this pool because he thinks, superstitiously I think, that there's going to be healing in the pool. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, and these words have haunted me all week long. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. I've just been thinking about that phrase over and over again. I have no one. I have no one. How many people do you think in our neighborhood feel that way? I mean, if you were to leave from the building this morning, I know you're going to lunch and you're not going to drive through the neighborhood. But if you do, one way or the other, no matter which way you go, you're going to pass a house or two. And in every single one of those houses, there are people who live there. And in every one of those families, they have problems, just like your family. They have struggles and worries and disappointments, and there are things going on in their lives. And for some of them, if you were to say, do you want to get better? Do you want something better? They might say something like this, I have no one. No one to help me, no one to turn to, no one to encourage me, no one to pick me up, no one to be a shoulder to cry on. 
How many people do you think that you drive by their house every single day and they might say to you, if you had the chance to visit with them, I have no one? How many people do you think that you pass in the grocery store and if you were to stop and have a long conversation with them, they might tell you, I have no one? How many people that you know fairly well, maybe just on a surface level at work, that if you really were to dig down just a little bit deeper, they would say to you, I have no one. Or maybe there's some young people at school, and if you really were to visit with them, they might say to you, I have no one. This was Jesus' neighbor. And yes, Jesus had a lot of preaching to do and a lot of healing to do and a lot of things that needed to be done. But he found that one person who said, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. Jesus said to him, verse 8, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now, I can't, I can't do that for my neighbor and you can't do that for your neighbor, but you can do something for your neighbor, can't you? You can be a person in their life that's a shoulder to cry on, that's an encouragement, that's someone to listen to and talk to, someone that you say, I'm in your corner, and I love you, and I care about you, and these things that you're going through, I want to walk with you in those things. You can't do that for everybody. There's a lot of people in this world. There's a lot of people in this town. There's a lot of people in this county. There are lots and lots of people and you can't do that for everybody, but you can do that for someone. Someone who might say to you, I have no one. You can be there for them, and you can help them. You may not be able to cause them to walk, but you can be a friend to them. I mean, we could keep going. Look at John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000, or Oops, sorry, I didn't put that one on the screen. John chapter 6, Jesus feeds uh, the 5,000. And, and in the accounts, it says that he knew they were like sheep without a shepherd. He cared about his neighbors. John chapter 8, Jesus saves his adulterous neighbor. Remember that the Pharisees, they brought this woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus didn't say, I don't love neighbors like that. I don't love neighbors who do those kind of things. I'm not going to stick up for her. What she did was wrong. What, was what she did wrong? Sure it was. And some of the things that our neighbors have done are wrong. But as we said when we talked about this chapter in one of our sermons, that people are people, no matter how sinful their actions. People are people. <laughs> you're people, no matter how sinful your actions. You're a person whom God loves whom God loves to forgive, whom God loves to extend mercy, and, and so is your neighbor. There are people to whom we ought to love and extend mercy and forgiveness, no matter what they've done or haven't done. Jesus loved his neighbors. John chapter 9, Jesus heals his blind neighbor who was born blind. Instead of just merely leaving it at a theological conversation, his Disciples wanted to know, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And instead of leaving it at a theological conversation, 
he actually loved and helped and served his neighbor. John chapter 11, Jesus raises his neighbor from the dead. John chapter 13, Jesus washes his neighbor's feet. And then as we go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can see that Jesus has countless meals with countless neighbors. On the one hand, like tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners, the people that the religious folk wanted nothing to do with, but also with the religious folk, with the Pharisees, Jesus had meals with countless neighbors. He made room in his life for his neighbors. He made time for them. He invested energy in them. He had to accomplish a whole lot in three years. More than I have to accomplish in three years. More than you have to accomplish in three years, right? We don't know what the next three years holds for you or me or anybody else, do we? But we can be so incredibly busy and so caught up with being efficient and getting a lot of things done. I don't know if you're like me. I love to-do lists. Sometimes I'll write something on a to-do list after I did it just so that I can check it off, right? I love it. I love that feeling of checking something off a to-do list. But sometimes the people that are right in front of you are more important than the tasks on your to-do list. Not just sometimes. The people who are right in front of you are more important than the tasks on your to-do list. Jesus had a lot to accomplish, a lot of sermons that needed to be preached, a lot of lessons that needed to be taught, a lot of people who needed to be seen, but he had time, made time for one-on-one interactions for loving and serving his neighbors. He made room for his neighbors. So our moment of truth question is incredibly simple this morning. How are you making room for neighbors? That's what Brighter Together is all about. That we become a brighter congregation the more people who join with us to say, I want to serve and follow and love Jesus with you. This congregation is brighter because you're here than it was before you were here. This congregation is better for having you and your family a part of it than it would be if you weren't a part of it. This congregation is better because of you. And don't you know that that's true for the next people down the road? For the next people that will come here and either become disciples of Jesus and be part of what's going on here or or maybe they're already disciples of Jesus and they're just looking for a great family to be a part of. This congregation will be better because they're here. And so we are making room for more disciples of Jesus. We are making room for our neighbors. But then there's an individual part of that too, isn't there? Me. Wes. Slow down. Stop. How are you, Wes, making room for your neighbors? How about you? Are you making room for your neighbors? How are you making room for your neighbors? If your neighbor came up to you today and said, I need to visit with somebody. I have no one. Do you have time for them? Are you intentionally building margin into your life so that you have time? 
when your neighbors need you? So here are three questions maybe we could consider about making room for our neighbors. Number one, are there moments, to go back to what Fred Rogers said, are there moments when you could be more present with a neighbor? Maybe you're, maybe you're checking out at the grocery store and the, the automated lanes, you had too many things, you couldn't go through that one, so you had to go through one with an actual human being and they're talking to you, you know, and they're making conversation about the stuff that you're putting in your bag and you're like, I really wish they wouldn't ask me about my stuff, but you know, they are anyway and you're going through there and are you present with them? And do you realize this is an image bearer of God? And I have maybe just a window of a minute or two to let them know I'm your neighbor, you're my neighbor, and I love you, and I'm present with you right now. I don't think I'm going to change your life in five minutes. I don't think that I'm going to turn your world upside down, but I want to be present with you right now so that you know I care about you. This afternoon, you may go to a restaurant and somebody bring food out to your table and set it on your table and you're going to leave a tip for them and you're going to pay them. And Do you realize that that individual who's bringing you your food is an image bearer of God? They are your neighbor. And just as it's important for you to be present with your family while you're at that table and to be present with the people that you came to lunch with, also be present with your server. And let him or her know, I love you. And I'm thankful for this opportunity that we, we get to have a conversation, even if it's just for a moment. Or maybe it's your boss. Or maybe it's your coworker. Or maybe it's your classmate. And they're going to have a conversation with you. And it's easy to just say, man, I really wish this conversation was over so I could move on to the things I need to get accomplished. But what if we stopped and we made room in our time Room in our day, room in our life for the neighbors that God puts in our path. Number two, is there a neighbor you could take to coffee or have over for dinner? Maybe somebody you work with, maybe somebody at school, maybe somebody who lives around you, and and you could just intentionally make room and make time for them in your life and just say, I want to get to know you better. I want your family to get to know my family. Church, how is it How is it that we are going to spread the gospel of Jesus if we don't make time for people that aren't already followers of Jesus? How are we going to do that? How are we going to to share the good news about Jesus if we're not actually making time for them? It's one thing to build a bigger building. And yes, we need to make more room for our neighbors. But unless we are individually throughout the week having coffee or having conversation, or having meals with our non-Christian neighbors, and letting them know we care about you, and we want to study the Bible with you, and share with you about Jesus, unless we're having those conversations, are we really accomplishing what it is that Jesus wants us to accomplish? How will we reach? We have the good news about Jesus that he's king of the world and that he wants to save them and redeem them and give them everlasting life. We have this message and it's our job and our duty but our joy to share it with them. But if the only people in our life are the people that are already followers of Jesus and we're not having conversations with and being friends with, and being good neighbors to, 
the people that don't already know Jesus, we will never, we will never have the opportunity to even share the good news with them. Number three, is there a neighbor who might say, maybe somebody who has said, but perhaps just someone you get the feeling might say, I have no one to help me. When you were in school, you could see the kids that that was true of. The kids that sat by themselves, that didn't have the friends. And it was hard, maybe, to go and sit down and say, I want to be his friend. I want to be her friend. And maybe as people grow up, they can hide this a little bit better. But there are lonely people in our world. Teens, preteens, adults, older people who would honestly say, I have no one to help me. I have no one to lean on. I have no friends. We can step in and be a neighbor to those people. But in order for us to step in and to be a neighbor to the neighborless, to be a father to the fatherless, to be a friend to the friendless, in order for us to step in and do that, we have to make room in our lives for our neighbors. We have to, God is putting people in your path every single day. There are countless people in your path, and you can't change everybody's world. You can't even be a friend to every single person who comes across your path, but you can be a friend to someone. And you can make room in your life for someone, for the people that God is putting in your path. So as a congregation, let's remember, and let's pray about, and let's continue to be excited about the fact that we are expanding our facilities because of this, because we're making room for our neighbors. But in order for us to really make room for our neighbors, it has to be, it has to be, church, it has to be more than just a building thing. Brighter Together has to be more than just expanding a building. Brighter Together has to be an entire congregation of people who are committed to making room in our lives for our neighbors, for saying, I want to know my neighbors who don't know Jesus yet. I want to sit down with them. I don't want to make a project of them. I don't want to put them on my to-do list. I want to love them and be, my, be their neighbor. And I want to create opportunities or take advantage of opportunities to share with them about why I love and follow Jesus so that they can know why they might want to love and follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but I got a, I got a long way to go in this area, making room in my life for our neighbors, but let's work on that together, can we? Let's work on that together, making room in our life for our neighbors and inviting them to be a part of our life. I want you to come and have dinner at my house. I want you to come and, and worship with us at McDermott Road. I want you to come and see what I've seen and experience what I've experienced and know why it is that I love Jesus. Because when you were baptized, if you've been baptized into Jesus, it's because Jesus made room for you in his family. That's what it's all about, isn't it? In my father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus has made room for you in his family. 
And he expects that same sort of generosity for us to extend that to others. He's made room in his family for us. He's made room in his family for us to be co-heirs, for us to inherit what's coming to his family. He made room for us. And so that's what we're doing and striving to do. That's what we accepted when we were baptized into Jesus. And now that we're a part of the family, we ought to be saying, I want to make room for others. And I want to invite others to experience what I've experienced. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to allow Jesus to invite you in and bring you into the family in which he has made room for you. Or maybe you just need prayers of the people in this room who love you and care about you more than you can possibly imagine. Or maybe you want to visit with some of our shepherds and allow them to pray with you and pray for you after service. We not only want to be a neighbor to the people out there, we want to be a neighbor to the people in here, to you. So let us show you how much we love you as together we stand and sing.